Welcome everyone, this is Jorge Fascinetti, and you're listening to another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. Today we are talking about clinical trials for new medications. As Crenetic's new drug candidate, Baltusatine, enters an important phase in its development for the treatment of acromegaly, we thought it would be great to get an inside look at this potential new therapy and learn more about what is involved in this phase three of the study. We caught up with Crenetic's medical science director, Dr. Alessandra Casagrande via Zoom. Dr. Casagrande received her medical degree and PhD in Brazil and is an endocrinologist by training. She has been involved in the care of patients with pituitary diseases since 2002 and has participated in countless clinical trials as a co-investigator. Dr. Casagrande joined Crenetics a year ago and her role is to help the discovery team to advance their new molecules into clinical trials. But before we get into the podcast, I want to remind you that if you want to learn more about this clinical trial or check to see if you qualify, you can find that information in the Pituitary World News website at pituitarywellnews.org, where you'll see links that will take you to the appropriate information. Here's our talk. Welcome, Dr. Casagrande, to Pituitary World News Podcast, uh, and thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to join us today. Uh, I'm going to get right into it and ask you a question, uh, I think a little more in general, about um, clinical trials. And I know they're not easy to do, so it'll be interesting for our audience to hear your take on what you think are the most significant barriers to uh, an issue to a successful clinical trial. And I would like to do for you to answer in general terms, and then let's get into probably what's the most difficult thing, which is to, to uh, uh, try to get patients to participate. So, right. so welcome again, and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, well, thank you. Um, as I mentioned to you before, I've been uh, reading the, the website, I've been listening to some of the uh, webcast and you are doing an amazing job in terms of education and putting the word out for people with rare disease and pituitary tumors. Uh, Thank you. Coming to, yeah. Uh, coming to your question. Um, so clinical trials are very complex, uh, especially the ones that are uh, the ones that are in phase three. So those are the big trials, the trials that will uh, try to give the approval for the drug to get into the market. Um, uh, most of them are multi-center and global trials. So it involves different countries with different regulations. Every country has its own uh, type of um, informed consent. Operationally speaking, it's also uh, challenging to make sure everything gets to where we want them to get at a timely frame. Uh, so those are the uh, complex issues that we sometimes uh, face when we have to deal with uh, different countries, different regulations, especially uh, right now that we have a um, pandemic going on, mm -hmm. and sometimes we face some delays. Uh, in terms of um, recruiting, as you mentioned, um, yeah. Every clinical trial struggles a little bit, especially in the beginning, to find the right patient. So um, the studies are, uh, they have a protocol. The, 
protocol have inclusion and exclusion criteria. So we must find the right patient for that study. And uh, especially uh, when we deal with rare disease, it's not so easy to find those patients. Um, sometimes they uh, are around uh, and they need a new treatment or some kind of treatment because there are some rare disease that they have non-approved drug in the market. And sometimes they just want some new opportunities to improve the treatments that already are in the market. Mm -hmm. But the, the challenges uh, so far, I mean, the, the, the huge challenge that clinical trials in phase three uh, phase is to find the right place, uh, the yeah. right patient to yeah. participate. So not only do you have to find the right patient, you also have to have that patient that, finding the right patient is about finding the patient that has the, the, the condition and the right conditions for the test that need to be uh, uh, tested in the trial. Uh, also, I would think that is there a certain amount of uh, uh, people maybe not wanting to participate, the concerns, uh, and how, how, do you, how do you work with those concerns? I, I know the trial is very well defined and you have a, in, in, in Paltucetine, you have a placebo um, uh, track for lack, lack of a better word. Uh, and that people, if they're not doing well, then they're, they get pulled from the, from the trial. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. usually when you are on phase three, that is the, the, the big trial that is going to, uh, test a drug. And if the result is positive, probably the drug is going to get approved. So you always compare to something. So you're going to compare it to placebo, that is sugar pill, or you're going to compare to another type of treatment that is already approved or the standard of care. Um, and for sure, uh, the, when you do uh, this type of trial, what we call is, uh, is arm. So we have the placebo arm and we have the active uh, arm that is, yeah. in fact, the, the, the candidate drug that you're testing. Um, so uh, you don't know who is going to get which, right? So usually you have 50% of chance on following in the placebo arm. When you are in the placebo arm, there's a lot of um, monitoring in place to make sure that the patient is not uh, suffering to be on an arm where he's not being treated with any active drug. So for sure, there's always some kind of rescue mm -hmm. treatment that you have to use in case the patient gets uh, worse. Yeah. And I know you have published some very interesting and very good uh, materials for patients to go to, to get all the information. And obviously they will be, they'll be talking to their physicians as well as the clinicians in the in the trials and and uh, and I'm, I'm assuming a team from Kinetics that will be ready to answer all their questions. Uh, get, what type of questions do you get from patients typically? So I, I think that the biggest concern is uh, regarding safety. Mm -hmm. Is it safe for me to participate? What is going to uh, happen to me in the trial? Um, so uh, most of the questions that I get is, how long does it take? Uh, what happens if I get into the placebo arm? Um, at the end of the trial, can I receive the 
the candidate drug that is being tested or not. Um, and, and one thing that uh, some people uh, don't realize is that has been a lot of work before we get to a phase three trial. Right? Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. That's so interesting because uh, safety, at, you have first a phase one and phase two, right? So safety is, is already something that has been, I mean, not discounted, but at least studied in, in the prior phase. Exactly, yeah. So for phase one, this is the main concern. I mean, is this, uh, is this candidate drug safe? Right, so we tested on healthy volunteers. We initiate testing with very small uh, doses, and then we increase the dose. So we get a sense of which is the minimum dose that will do what the drug is supposed to do, and which is the highest dose that is going to do the same thing without bringing any kind of um, uh, unexpected side effect. Mm -hmm. um, on the phase two trials, we go to patients and we test the dose range that we find on phase one in patients, always having the same mindset about safety. Uh, yeah. On phase three trials, we have several eyes on the patient, right? So we have um, the, the physician that is treating the patient. We have the regulators that have already uh, analyzed the protocol and ask questions. Uh, we also have the medical monitoring uh, that are participating in the trial that are usually from the sponsor side. And we also have independent physicians looking at this data. So those are physicians that are not part of the trial as investigators. They are not part of the trial as the sponsor side. They are independent people that are looking into that data. So there's a lot of people <laughs> looking into that to make That's sure everything is safe. So, yeah, yeah. So I think no, this ahead, is the, the biggest concern uh, when patients are uh, um, invited to participate in the trial. So how safe I'm gonna be? Um, so what, what is gonna happen with my tumor? What's gonna happen with my symptoms? Uh, if I get worse, what is gonna be done? So those are the questions that I usually get. Yeah, yeah. Do you find, um, where do you find the misinformation uh, on trials? So I, I'm assuming that there's a fair amount of misinformation about safety in some trials. So things get out, you know, they go through, unfortunately, now we have the internet and places like Facebook where some of this information is, uh, is either twisted or sometimes, you know, it's... Um, uh, you know, we, we, we deal with misinformation constantly on things that come out, you know, uh, that are not scientifically correct. And that for some reason, they just get light up the internet and people start, uh, you know, talking about it and believing these things. Do you find safety to be the, the, one of the biggest issues for misinformation? Or is there misinformation in, in clinical trials? I believe it's, uh, I mean, it will depend on where you look for, right? Yeah. So uh, you have to be very careful when you look into the internet. And there are yes. sites that are, uh, I mean, they, they, they are uh, sites that you can trust and sites that you cannot trust. Yeah. So I, I guess at the, the um, when I, when they ask me about it, I like to be very uh, clear of what is going to happen. Uh, what are the risks? that they are uh, 
probably going to face. But I think that their primary physician is the best person to yes. uh, to tell what is going to happen if they are the a good candidate for that mm-hmm. and to clarify any kind of doubts. And I believe that you're doing an awesome job in terms oh. of informing well, them. You, well, thank you. You know, that's one of the things that we, you sometimes people ask what keeps you up at night. And uh, <laughs> we, we think constantly about um, trying to get the right, you know, information to people. So, and not only the right information, but where to go to get res- the, the good, the right resources. Uh, so they can trust the information that they read. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's really so, interesting. Some of the uh, institutions, uh, they have some education uh, forums for patients. Mm-hmm. That's a good uh, place to, to look for information. Um, so uh, when I used to be an investigator, what I used to uh, do before a trial to start was to uh, do a meeting with all the patients that were interested on and uh, try to clarify all the doubts that were in the informed consent. That's so, so important. Sometimes people um, don't have a question because they, I don't know, they don't realize um, what can happen, but the other patient do. So um, it's yeah. helpful when they are all together because they can all learn from each other's question. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's shift a little bit and talk about specifically about paltusatine, the the first once once daily oral non peptide drug, right? Did I say that right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. you're on so it. Can you tell us a little about about the science there? Yeah. So paltusatine is a new class of uh, medication, and. Uh, as you mentioned, it's not a peptide, meaning it's not a protein. So it doesn't uh, get uh, broken down by the acid in the stomach. So it's easily absorbed. Oh, interesting. And it gets where it has to get. Uh, the mechanism of action, in fact, uh, it, uh, it's a somatostatin agonist. So uh, it has uh, the effect of turn off the cells that secrete growth hormone. And consequently, it also uh, decreases the amount of IGF-1 that is produced by the liver. So that's the way that potocetine acts. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. I remember uh, a, a discussion with uh, Dr. Struthers when we first uh, met three or four years ago talking about CRN 00808, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, and that was um, so exciting to hear. In terms of the participants, what were, what are they going to be asked to do? Can you take us through, for example, if I'm interested, okay, I'm interested in participating in the trial. Sure. So we do have a patient's uh, page in our website, and we are also working with a vendor to try to connect patients with the institution that are participating in the trial. The good news is that we're gonna have two phase three trials. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first one, Pathfinder one, is for those patients that are being treated with uh, the long acting injections. uh, And we are gonna switch them to potocetine or placebo. So they're gonna go through a screening period. That's where we are gonna do some tests uh, and talk to the patient to see if they are a good candidate for the, the, this trial. Once they are um, 
eligible to enroll into the study, they are going to be um, uh, randomized, which is kind of flipping a coin, mm -hmm. and they are going to go into the potocytine arm or the placebo arm. Uh, from that on, they're going to be evaluated around once a month. Uh, the assessments are uh, very similar to what they are used to get into uh, clinical practice. Uh, we yeah, add so blood some... tests for uh, IGF-1. Correct. And yeah. we also add some more tests because... Uh, as we talked before, we are always looking into safety. So they are going to go through some um, ECGs, some other lab tests that sometimes they don't do uh, during the uh, uh, regular visits to the doctors. Uh, they also going to go through an uh, MRI, um, uh, gallbladder, ultrasound. Mm -hmm. But the, the visits are very uh, similar to what they are used to do in clinical practice. Uh, this is going to be for the uh, randomized control phase that is going to last for 36 weeks. Wow. And after that, we are going to have an open label extension phase where everybody's going to get potocytine. And that open label, we try to mimic more what happens in real life. So on that phase, they'll have more uh, spaced out uh, visits. So... Um... Uh, the, how many, I think I read you needed 52 patients for the first, the, 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 the first of the two phase three studies. Correct. Yeah. And, and tell me a little bit about how long do you think that should take? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I know it's uh, going to be very difficult. Yeah, I mean, we, we like to enroll fast because then we have, we, we can have the results faster. Yeah. And if it's positive, we can make it available faster, right? Yeah. So we always try to enroll as fast as we can. Um, of course, it depends on a different uh, uh, situations and also on uh, how fast we can find those patients. Um, so uh, right now uh, we have... Uh, we already have our first patient that was screened. He was eligible and he uh, had been dosed yeah. already. Um, and we have other patients in screening. So um, we are opening more sites. And as long as we open more sites, more patients are going to come. So hopefully we are going to be um, able to uh, enroll patients as fast as we can. Yeah. So once patient once a patient is involved, then he de he deals directly with the the uh, testing center or the, the his clinicians and your clinicians and uh, as, as as you were saying, very, they're very well observed as they move through through the trial. Uh, what what are the um, the most significant worries as you move through a phase three trial? Not I'm I'm not asking maybe about specifically but because you obviously don't know, but um, in general, you know, what, what are the worries as you see uh, these drugs, you know, reacting in people and things like that? Is, is that an unfair question? No, I, I, I guess that you already answered the question. I mean, yeah. what we worry about are the things that we don't know because the, the, the drug has been very, um, usually. And obviously that's why you have they, to test it. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, when they get to phase three, uh, we have a lot of knowledge about the drug already, right? So yes. um, 
we are testing on more people and more patients. Uh, and we, we, uh, the concerns that we have is always what we don't know because we know a lot already and we, we know that we have uh, a drug with a clean profile, uh, no uh, scary safety signals. Uh, so we are very confident that the drug is safe. Mm -hmm. um, however, uh, we don't know what we don't know. No, of course. So, <laughs> so those are the, the, the things that uh, we are mm -hmm. always worried about. So that's why we have so many uh, safety uh, and uh, so many people looking into the data. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting you bring it up because I just finished a very interesting book um, called Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. I thought it was a fascinating study on, on uh, you know, on those sort of things and understanding what it is that you don't know is so fascinating. Uh, so, yeah, we, uh, we keep, I mean, when, when I say that there's a lot of people looking into the data, I mean, we are always trying to find some kind of signal that can be important and can lead to something. Yeah. Uh, so that's why, I mean, there's a lot of eyes on it. Yeah, of, of course. So this may be a little bit of an unfair question, and it's probably because so much of COVID is in people's minds. And when we look at the time that it took to develop a, these new vaccines in a year, I mean, it's mind-blowing when you realize that the way, you know, typically it takes, you know, decades to, to develop some of these. Uh, uh, do you think there's an expectation of this going faster? Or uh, do you, is it still? I mean, does is are the regulatory is a regulatory environment moving a little faster now, or are we still you know looking at time? I think that is something that we uh, will have to wait to see. But um, what they did was they adapt to a situation, mm -hmm. right? So we are going to into a pandemic. People were dying, and things had to be faster. And they adapt to that. Of course. Right? So uh, I, I don't know if there's going to be any change in the regulatory process or not, but it's something that I think we have to wait to see. Yeah, of course. And, and, for, and for rare disease, that's so difficult, so important because there's so very few people, obviously, with rare diseases. And this enrolling of people that are uh, right to for a trial is so, so difficult. Um, in, in keeping with unfair questions, I'll ask you another one. Well, do you think there may be a time when um, uh, we don't need uh, patients for, for drugs, clinical trials? That we, is, is there technology or AI or you know, genetics or genome where you can test these at the, at the molecular level and not having to have uh, you know these extensive uh, patient trials. Do you think? Do you think uh, science could move that way, or who knows? <laughs> I'm sorry yeah, for the answer well, question, but I think about it all the time. You know. I mean, it's an interesting question, right? Yeah. And um, I mean, medicine uh, evolves uh, fast, and we are always learning more things. Uh, however, there are diseases that are more complex, and um, we always have to know what the body does with the drug and what the drug does to our body. So um, thinking about that, uh, it's kind of hard to um, mimic that in a non-human uh, 
way. Yes. So, uh, of course, there are some uh, genes that tell us uh, how the drug is uh, metabolized, how the uh, body gets rid of it. Um, so there are some hints, but uh, putting all those hints together uh, may take a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating to think about, uh, particularly when you think about how quick, how the advances in medicine and the knowledge that we've had in the last decade. It's uh, I, I hear it's just amazing uh, some of the developments out there. It's a, it's a very exciting time to, to be a scientist. What would you tell a patient to ask? the doctor as they are, or the clinician, as they are thinking about participating in, in this trial or any other trial? What are the things that you would encourage the, uh, patients to do? I guess that before that, before going into trial, or if they are thinking or not in participating, I think that it's always good to ask what's new, because medicine is always evolving. We are always discovering new things. So What's new about my disease? What's new about uh, treating my disease? Um, and uh, what are the opportunities? Is there something that I should try? Is there something that I should do differently? And uh, if there is a clinical trial going on, uh, I would encourage patients to ask questions. So what is this clinical trial about? Uh, do you think I'm a good candidate? What is gonna happen during the trial? Who is going to take care of me? Um, what happens if I get worse? Can I go back to my previous treatment? Uh, when this treatment is going to be available? Um, I mean, any, any kind of question that may uh, cause uncertainty, I think they should uh, clarify it with the, the physician. Yeah, don't be, don't be shy about asking, asking questions. Yeah. And I know sometimes that is so uh, um, difficult uh, because of the time sometimes that the physician has with a patient. But, you know, we also make available, I mean, and you have a lot of materials that are answering a lot of questions on this. And obviously we will uh, make as much of this information available for people to look at pituitary world news. But there is nothing, obviously, like a conversation with your doctor about- Yeah, yeah. Know, and I mean, usually we ask patients to uh, bring a list of questions to the visit, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they don't forget. And sometimes sure. if they bring someone, of course, right now, uh, everything has been limited because of the COVID. But uh, when they go to a, a, a physician's visit, it's always helpful to bring someone else, right? Yeah. Because it helps to remember all the questions or the doubts, um, the challenges they're, they're facing, and sometimes uh, they forget to ask. Yeah. So all those, those things. Are well, I can, I can tell you that it's, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I... I I do it all the time. I, I, you know, my visits to my physicians as a patient, you go, oh my God, I forgot to ask about this or that. Or, and then you go, oh, you know, too bad. I had another five minutes or 10 minutes, uh, which is, uh, it's great. Anyway, well, uh, Dr. Casagrande, I want to thank you profusely for taking the time to do this. I know we tried to do it a couple of times and scheduling didn't permit, but thank you so much for taking the time and talking to us. And we will be checking back with you as if we if we can, you know, and you can answer these questions as the trial 
progresses to see how things are going. Uh, sure. So thank you again. Yeah, yeah. And as I mentioned, you're doing a great job uh, educating people on rare disease and pituitary tumors. Um, uh, I was very pleased to see that you have a Spanish version. Oh, thank uh. you. Yes, <laughs> we're working on that. Actually, we're going to translate a few more things uh, and write a, specifically a few more things. And hopefully we can write a version in Portuguese. Yeah. Uh, well, these days. So that looking forward fun. to that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we'll 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 uh, recruit you for that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can help for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much again and good luck with all of the work that's coming up for you. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, if you want to learn more about this Crenetics trial and see if you qualify to join, please visit our website at pituitaryworldnews.org and follow the links. And please stay tuned for updates on this and other important issues for pituitary patients. Thank you for listening. <laughs>